Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Tina Sire, PCA Chief Impact Officer. Janine Tucker has been the head women's lacrosse coach at Johns Hopkins University for the past 22 years. In that time, she's become the winningest coach in Johns Hopkins history. She's led her team to the NCAA tournament each of the last two years, and she's the co-author of two books, The Baffled Parent's Guide to Coaching Girls Lacrosse and Women's Lacrosse, an Advanced Guide for Players and Coaches. Janine came to PCA's attention because one of her players, Eden Epner, was a former member of PCA's National Student Athlete Advisory Board. Now we get to learn more from Coach Tucker today. Janine, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I'd love for you to reflect back on some of the coaches that have really been instrumental in shaping the coach you've become today and take us through some of the things you feel like you learned from those coaches. Well, um, well, I've had several people in my life, as I think back on it, that made a strong impression on me, and each of them had a different message. And um, my very first coach was my dad, actually, and um, he has, you know, been involved in my playing and, and coaching career my entire life. And I can remember um, when I was younger, my father would say to me, Janine, make sure throughout your playing career, this was obviously when I was playing, um, find a truth teller, find someone that is going to tell you the truth, find a coach, someone that can be a mentor that you can latch on to that will be a truth teller for you. They're not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you need to hear to make you better. And that always stuck with me. And now that I've been coaching for so long um, and have been doing this for a little bit, uh, my father had morphed his message over the last few years. And he said, Janine, now you have to be the truth teller. You have to be a mentor for some of the younger uh, coaches and, of course, your players. Um, And that always stuck with me, you know, to find a truth teller, And a lot of times coaches are exactly that for the young men and the young women that we're working with. And then as you are involved in the profession, I've seen myself kind of morph to to be that truth teller for my players and for some of my peers uh, and some of my girls who are now getting involved in coaching. So he was my, my first coach that really had a tremendous impact on me. And then I was very blessed uh, to be coached by and to coach with Diane Jeppy Akins, who was the longtime coach at Loyola College uh, here in Baltimore. And um, when I graduated in 1989, Diane asked me to stay on as her assistant coach. And those couple of years were transformational for me. She actually pushed me towards uh, getting into coaching. But what was amazing about Diane was we lost her in 2003 to a brain tumor. And what I saw her do for her girls back when she coached me and when I coached with her, and then certainly battling her brain tumor, um, it was about strength. It was about being strong as a coach, that you have to be strong and display strength for your players, for your team, especially when things are going wrong. And that was something that I really pulled from Diane was how to be strong in the face of adversity and how important it was as a woman to be that kind of role model for our players, Um, you know, certainly in the face of things going wrong. I'm sorry, go ahead. 
No, I, I just I think that that's tremendous and what a legacy she left. And I'm just I'm oh. so sorry she's no longer with us, but it clearly she had such an, an impact and probably you're not the only coach that came out of her mentoring. Oh, not at all. And and she still has an impact. I still find myself, we lost her in 2003, and I still find myself, whether it's on the sidelines or at home or at practice, thinking, okay, what would I do in this situation? And I de- derived a lot of um, strength from knowing what she had to battle and what she had to go through and how gracious she was. And I tried to emulate that, and I tried to project that onto my team and my players. Um, and then finally, uh, the gentleman who actually hired me, um, his name was Bob Scott, and he was the longtime coach and athletic director here at Hopkins, and I can remember walking into his office, and this all started with Diane, actually. She had made me do some teaching uh, at a camp that she ran for Mr. Scott, and when they were, when Hopkins was looking for a lacrosse coach, I can remember going into his office, um, and there were, there were two things that I was struck by him, because I knew what an amazing coach he had been, and now he was the athletic director at Hopkins, and it was the presence that he gave off. I mean, he just had a presence about himself. Um, And I think as coaches, we need to try to have a presence for our young women, for our young men, um, so that they can really feel that, that confidence and strength coming off of you. And so walking into his office, I immediately felt this, this presence, but I also would tell you that he knew how to be present. So meaning when I was in that office talking with Mr. Scott about the position and coaching, he made me feel like I was the only person in the world. Um, And Mm -hmm. he had the ability to just be present no matter who you were. And I think that's why he was such a phenomenal coach and mentor for so many because he had this presence, this air about him. But when you were speaking with him, it was like there was no one else in the world. And and so that's something that I pulled from Mr. Scott, and I tried to to remember um, and fall back on each and every day as I influence my girls. That's excellent. I want to go back to your dad for a second as your first coach. And I feel like when you have, you know, often in this country in youth sports, we have a lot of parents coaching their own kids. And I feel like that can cut either way. It can be a really wonderful experience. I had a similar experience with my dad. You know, I think him coaching me in soccer when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, it's one of my fondest memories. Um, But I think for some kids, it's actually really difficult. And and having their parent coach them, it's not an easy thing. So can you, you tell me a little bit about how your dad approached that and what it was like having him as your coach and are there things other parents can learn um, from him and the way he handled that and the way they're working with their own kids? Sure, sure. That's a great question um, because you're right. It can get pretty dicey and it can be also a beautiful, wonderful experience. I think what I remember with my dad coaching me was I was just another one of the kids. There was no special treatment. Um, You know, he was just very fair. Um, He really was able to um, be a teacher first. And I thought that was something that was was very important. Um, He was very worried about making sure each player on his team got better. And there was no special treatment. Everyone was treated fairly. You earned what you worked hard to achieve. Um, I remember that there was there was emotion involved, so he would get really excited when great things would be happening with us as young players, and he would get on us if necessary, um, you know, to kind of push you to be better, but it never swung outside of the realm of a good, healthy balance. 
And I think that's sometimes where, um, you know, parents coaching their kids can, can kind of cross some lines a little bit as it goes too far one way or the other. Um, and I think that you've got to really learn to find that balance as a coach, especially when it's your daughter or your son. Uh, we're experiencing that now actually with my husband. Um, he's coaching my son, Ryan, who just graduated from the University of Virginia and is playing for John for the Boston Cannons in the Major Lacrosse oh, wow. League. Yeah, yep. and it was a lot of people asked Ryan about what's it going to be like to have your dad coach you, um, and he just gets a big smile on his face because John coached him back, I think, when he was in seventh grade. That was the last time that he had the opportunity to coach him. And he said, it's just the greatest thing ever. I, I just don't want to disappoint him. And, you know, that's, that's awesome in a, in a sense, but I also think that it has to remain healthy. You know, the son or the daughter has to recognize, and I had to recognize that while I wanted to please my dad, who was also my coach, I wanted to just make sure that I kept it in perspective and that the, the parent is the one that has to lead that because they're the adult. They have to keep it in perspective with how much you're pushing your child, how much you're asking them to do for you on the field, and recognizing that the son or the daughter is, is really trying to please you and, and doesn't want to disappoint. Yeah. So um, it was very healthy, I think, because my dad kept a healthy perspective on how to motivate us and teach us. Yep, yep. Hearing about your husband coaching your son um, in professional lacrosse, it reminds me of two of PCA's National Advisory Board members. You know, we have Doc Rivers, who is trying to coach his own son, Austin, and then Bruce Bochy, who's coaching his own son, um, you know, for, in the Giants system. Sure. And it's fun to hear Bruce Bochy talking about his son and how every time his son would go into a game, it was the most nervous Bruce ever felt. And having his son out there, you know, it was just like he just felt it in his own stomach the whole time and how different yep. it was having his son out there versus any other player. So just, I guess, one more question. How old were you when your dad was coaching you? Oh, my goodness. I was, I was in peanut stage. So um, it was softball. So I would say I was um, in middle school, uh, basketball. So a lot of it was late elementary school and then through middle school. And then um, I went on, once you go on to high school, you know, they kind of turned me over to the, the other coaches. So it was, yeah. um, it was when I was younger. And and at that time, like, did the conversations about your teams ever come home with you, you know, where you're sitting around the dinner table and your dad's saying, like, hmm, you know, what do you think, Janine, should Shelly start at shortstop or should Sarah start or who should we have lead off? Like, did those conversations transcend the playing field and, and come into your house? You know what I remember about our conversations? Um, it was nothing but positive. And, yeah. you know, we could have gotten shellacked by 15 runs. And my dad yeah. just wanted to talk about how much we improved with our ground ball infielding or our pop flies yeah. or our hitting. And I think that that directly or indirectly rubbed off on me because he just would not um, kind of go into anything negative or kind of down about the team or my teammates. I think what he respected was these were my friends um, and that uh, my teammates. And so it was always just very constructive. Now that would certainly spin to, hey, I'm really excited because we've got to work on our ability to bunt, you know, or whatever it might have right. been at right. the moment or our free throws. Um, and that was his way of saying, that's what I'm going to kick your butt on in the next practice. Um, but he never really singled out other players, um, I think because he knew there was that line that these, these were my buddies yep. and didn't want to make it awkward yep. for me. 
Great, great. I think um, it's not always easy to sort of know where that line is. So that's a really good example. Um, I, I wanted to reflect a little bit about your evolution as a coach, and I would imagine that sort of the coach you were 22 years ago, um, you know, when Bob first brought you in to coach the Hopkins team, and you guys were D3 at that time, mm-hmm. um, you know, 22 years later, the way you approach your craft, and now you guys are D1 and, you know, playing at the highest level. Um, how would you talk about both your evolution as a coach and then how you've stayed motivated and sort of kept your, your tank full and had the energy to do this for so many years? Yeah, wow, that's two good questions. I would say my evolution, um, I would take back to how I was brought up. Um, both of my parents were strong believers in you've got to learn something new every day, and you have to try to get a little bit better every day. And I think that when I first got into coaching, I, I believe I carry a lot of energy, which has kind of been a mainstay. I just am a little bit of a little, more of a high-strong, kind of hyper, high-energy type of person anyway. But I think what I had to learn was, was um, how that it was okay to be more demanding, um, and that doesn't need to be in a, a negative or a browbeating way. Um, I think when I yeah. first started coaching, it was more of a, oh, it would be great if the girls can do this, and we would kind of try to work towards things, say, certainly staying in a very positive way, but I've since learned, and maybe because you get a little older and you're not as close in age to them and they can recognize that you've kind of been there, done that, um, you can be more demanding. And one of the most powerful things as a coach you can do is help a young woman get better, whether it's with a skill set or whether it's how she carries herself or whether it's how she presents herself or whether it's how she shoots on cage. Um, That was something that I really had to learn I first started out as, as focusing on coaching, the X's and O's, the drills, and then I've morphed into thinking about how I am influencing and how I am impacting the young women that I'm coaching. And I've, I think I've gotten better at using coaching and my profession as more of a vehicle to help make my young women better people, better athletes, better students. And, and I've just gotten more and more appreciative of how powerful the position is um, because of having that, that understanding and appreciation that I had to learn over 20 years. So I'd love to hear more. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that because at PCA we talk about people, about coaches being double goal coaches where, yes, the first goal, of course, we're striving to win and perform to our best, but the second more important goal is to teach those life lessons and the gifts that transcend sports. So when your young women are no longer playing lacrosse, they're still carrying lessons that they learn from being part of your program. And I'm curious if you could just put a fine point on that, like what are some of those life lessons or things you feel like you're teaching um, in your role as a coach that aren't lacrosse specific? Well, that actually um, can spin back to the second question you had asked about how have I stayed motivated and and energized for all these years? And and the first thing is you got to love what you do. Um, When I think back on it, I just, I love coaching. I love having the opportunity to, to teach and influence and mentor some, some pretty amazing young women. So, so that's a good thing. When you, when you love what you do and you can tell that you truly have a passion for it, even though you go home exhausted every single day, it's, it's really you know, how you're wired. It's what you're about. So that's, that's a really important thing. But what I've noticed is that I get a ton of joy 
out of watching, like you're talking about that second goal, the growth and the transformation of my players um, through the recruiting process, because now the recruiting process is so darn early, and through yeah. their four years here with us and then beyond. And where it really um, kind of magnified for me, and this, this started a few years ago, I started to tell my, my girls this, um, every summer that they would leave us, you know, they, we would have our spring season, we would wrap up our spring season, I would send the girls home for the summer. What I realized and what I wanted the girls to start to embrace is that when we have that little bit of a three-month separation from school, from lacrosse, from each other, each of them had a chance to kind of reinvent themselves. They had that time away to be able to come back, let's say it was from your freshman year to your sophomore year, and I would really encourage them to start thinking about how can you reinvent yourself in this time away to better grow, to better mature, to change for the better, because once you get back here in the fall, it's a fresh start. And, and that's where I feel it's been so fulfilling to watch these young women embrace that, that little time away, it's okay to say, you know what, I didn't do this as well as I want to, or I, my body language wasn't as strong in my freshman year, but I'm going to throw those shoulders back, and I'm going to completely show up in the fall like a new person. That is one of the most energizing and motivating things for me is the, the trepidation almost and the anxiety involved in when these girls come back. How have they embraced that, and have they reinvented themselves a little bit, and in what area? And with my young women, what I'm trying now to focus on is it's their body language, it's how they communicate, and it's their tone of voice. And those couple of areas, if I can get them to understand that if they're sitting in the meeting room picking at their fingers, that makes them look, you know, nervous and anxious. But if they're sitting in that meeting room and they're up straight and their eyes are on me and their chest is out, you know, and they, they're laser fixed on what you're saying, they're looking confident and they're looking ready to go. And yeah. small things like that can have a profound impact on these young women when you call their attention to it. And the other piece right. is just the inflection that they use in their voice. Sometimes when I get the girls as freshmen, they don't really make great eye contact. They're very soft-spoken. They don't really want to have that inflection. And then by the time they're seniors, there's no stopping them. You know, they've really figured out how to change their tone of voice and how loud they are and that inflection and that eye contact. And, you know, even just reaching out and grabbing somebody on the shoulder, you know, how, how incredible that can be for a senior to grab a freshman and be like, you got this, you know? Yeah. And so those are some of the things that I really get a, a giant kick out of. Yeah, well, and you can just see the, the real-world application of those things when they go to interview for a job or they're oh, in their first goodness. job, um, you know, or when they're approaching a professor to talk about their honors project. Um, you know, there's just a direct application that's fantastic. I yep. wanted to ask you um, just a few more questions sort of about this, the, the 22 years and the arc of things and how you feel like your job has changed. And there, there are two specific areas. I mean, social media is so big now. And, yeah. you know, 22 years ago, it, it wasn't there. And it, it's, just, right. it's really a huge piece. And how much do you talk to your players um, about social media? And then the second piece, I'm, I'm going to keep up my uh, role of asking you two questions at a time here. Sure. I think parents um, – <laughs> I think parents – and sort of their involvement, it's really ramped up. And mm -hmm. how involved parents are in their kids' sporting careers now, you know, I think it's different than it was 20, 25 years ago. And how do you handle sure. that as a, as a college coach? Um, so, so the social media piece and the parent piece over, over the last 20 years. 
Sure. Um, well, to answer your question, you know, do we talk to our players about social media? The answer is a resounding absolutely. Um, and so much so that what we start with is anything you put out there on social media is pretty much out there forever. And that yep. what I try to get them to understand is it is a direct reflection on who you are and your reputation. And because yep. you've agreed to come to Johns Hopkins University and because you've agreed to play on my team, it is also a direct reflection of Johns Hopkins yep. University and myself, my assistant coaches, and this program. And I try to get the girls to understand um, how how special that is, how important your personal reputation is, as well yep. as how you've aligned yourself with us, so much so that I explained that it's incredibly important that I follow each and every one of them on whatever social media <laughs> account they have. Yep. I will tell you, I'm on Instagram. Every single one of them have you know, followed me, and I follow them, and I'm on Twitter, and every single one of them follow me, and I follow them, and it's yep. not to be intrusive in their personal space, it's to help them understand that you could, with one push of a, an, a button of a phone or a computer, you can completely alter how people perceive you and your reputation. And yeah. they, the girls at first were like, huh, ew, eh, and then they understand. And I think the reason they also understand is because I think they genuinely know that we care about them and we really yeah. want what's best for them. It's not about trying to find out what you're doing on a Saturday night, but they do understand that there's a bigger purpose with, yeah. you know, how they represent themselves and social media. The other thing I will do, and I think this has actually been very effective, is we show them examples of things that have gone horribly wrong for kids. And mm -hmm. we let them know here were the consequences and how this young person's life was forever changed because they did yep. not make a good decision with social media. And I yep. found that when you have open conversations when you don't just talk at your team, you then say to them, right. what do you guys think about that? How do you feel about yeah. this? Give me your opinion. Yeah. It's a little bit more, um, uh, you know, kind of we're on a united front versus coaches stalking me and, um, you know, right. I don't want the coach to know what I'm doing. So I think that communication right. piece is a big deal. I hope that answers your question. Oh, it's fantastic. And I, mean, I think much like where we just went with the body language and the tone of voice, like the stuff you guys are talking around about social media, that's going to carry on to how they conduct themselves on social media after they leave your program. Sure, um, sure. And, you know, so sure. that's, it's a tremendous, tremendous lesson. So what about the role of parents and how that's changed? Yep. Well, I appreciate that question because I'm a parent myself, and I went through this mm -hmm. with my two sons from when they were peanuts and got them involved in gymboree, you know, and gymnastics, mm -hmm. and then kind of spilled from there, and then certainly lacrosse was the sport of choice for both of them, but I... I I think that the role of parents these days, honestly, you should be the transportation specialist. You should be a cheerleader, <laughs> the provider of Gatorades and oranges at halftime, a sounding board for your, your son or your daughter, but always to be followed by constructive comments, no matter how much you have to bite your lip. Um, and, and what I've learned over the years when I've had parents who want to talk about playing time or want to give us you know, suggestions on a, an offense to run, honestly, it's for the love of their kid that they sometimes lose their minds or get too involved. Um, and I have to take that step back as a coach and realize, okay, this is happening for the love of their kid, but when it crosses the line and it's 
unhealthy and unconstructive. I think coaches have to own that conversation with that parent or particular parents and remind them. And that's what you guys are all about is how do you maintain that positive, constructive, healthy perspective? Because when your child is cringing and your child doesn't want to talk to you about how their game just went, that's, that's pretty telling. Um, and so that's something that, you know, what I want to remind parents everywhere. And I had to remind myself, my husband and I would keep each other in check as best we could. Your son or your daughter is getting way more out of being on that team than just the wins. And that's that's something Mm -hmm. that it it is about. uh, That's the last thing they remember is the wins and losses, but it was the excitement of being with their friends and that camaraderie that they're feeling and that, you know, they accomplished something wonderful or, oh, it was devastating that we just lost that, but we went and got Slurpees afterwards and that was the best time. And, And I think that that's something where, you know, being able to remind yourself healthy perspective, healthy perspective, healthy perspective, um, I think yeah. is really important. Yeah. So so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about recruiting um, and, and maybe tie it into the parents. Um, you know, recruiting has changed for lacrosse, and I feel like there used to just be like a few hotbeds of lacrosse, and the sport has grown so much. And um, it, now it really is like a coast-to-coast recruiting process, you know, for the sure. top teams, and you're looking for girls all over the country. And um, and, and how can parents, I guess, what, what is the parent's best role if, they, if their daughter is interested in playing college lacrosse? And, um, and then, you know, what are you looking for? And, and are you just looking at the student athlete or are you looking at, at the whole family and sort of what, um, what, what's going to be coming into your program if you invest in that young woman? Wow, they're great questions. Um, as far as the parent's role in helping their daughter get recruited, um, I think it's really about encouraging their daughter to own her process. And I think it's about helping keep her on track that this is her process and her process alone and to try very hard not to worry about what everybody else on her team or in her club program are doing. That each each young woman, each student athlete, they run their own race. And whether someone gets recruited early in the process or whether they find their home towards the end of the recruiting process, they will find their home. And if the parents just continue to, to help them stay the course and encourage their daughter to do the reaching out, the calling of the coaches, the emailing, um, and quite frankly, just help, help encourage her to be a good teammate out on that field every day and get on the wall yeah. and work Work on your skills and improve yourself and, um, you know, at camps, go up and thank the coaches for having you and, you know, you know, kind of show um, that there's more to you than just the lacrosse skill sets um, or your academic mm-hmm. piece, I think is a big yeah. deal. So the, the parents can really encourage the, their daughters to own the process, to, to beef up that communication, um, and then to, to be the best they can be out on that field, you know, to play with a lot of confidence and, and make their teammates look good um, and, and be a sounding board. Uh, acknowledge, yes, this can be a frustrating process or acknowledge, hey, yes, this is a little overwhelming right now, but you know what, kiddo, in the end, you're going to find a great home. And that's going to, and the other thing, I guess, one thing I've, I've started to share more in my recruiting conversations, and I I mean this because I experienced it with my sons, you know, I think sometimes families and, and recruits, they get fixated on a school or two that that's, that's the school for them. And that's the way it's got to be. And they're just devastated if it doesn't work out with that particular school or two. And what I've started to tell all my girls is that 
whether it, it worked out the way you thought it was going to work out in the beginning of the recruiting process or whether it took a completely different path and you ended up at a school that was not even remotely on your radar, your experience is going to be what you make of it. So if you yeah. sit in that dorm room and you're miserable and you don't get out and meet people and you're not developing a relationship with your coaches and you're not getting out there and meeting the kids on the team, it's going to stink. Your four years at that yeah. school are going to stink. But if you go that, that to that school and it's a little different direction than you thought, but you get out there and you're making friends and you're getting on that field and you're practicing with the upperclassmen and you're developing relations with your coaches, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's college. And I think that's been one of the things that I've been trying to communicate to the girls and even to my girls. You know, these are all kids that come in that have been at the top of their game and they may come yeah. on my team and they don't see a minute of playing time. They've got to earn every second of it. I try to get them to embrace the process and that it is a process and that you just make the best out of every small moment that you have and you're going to have a great experience. Yeah. One thing I'm hearing that I really like is the idea of putting sort of the the control and empowering the athletes that wherever you end up, you have the control to make it a wonderful experience. 100%. And it's not just going to happen to you. Um, and, and we know people are happier and more self-confident and their self-efficacy goes up when they feel like they have control. And I feel like, um, you know, back in the day when I was doing recruiting and, and interacting with a lot of these kids, I would often tell them, wherever you end up, you're going to have a wonderful experience. You know, yeah. you're a wonderful person, a wonderful athlete, and whether it's here or somewhere else, there are so many great programs, you're going to have a great experience. So I, I really I love, love what you're saying there. Tell, talk to our audience a little bit about what you're looking for in a recruit that it, it's not the obvious. So it's not the lacrosse skills or the speed. Um, right. But what are those things that if someone's actually going to be invited into your program that you really want to see from her um, during the recruiting process? Well, you're right. Obviously, we look for the most important piece, with, which is athleticism. You know, um, yeah. we, uh, coaches can teach an athlete everything else they need to know to fine-tune things, but you've you got to have that athleticism as a foundation. But th- the next most important pieces for me are I'm looking for an athlete who's kind of two people rolled into one body, the off-the-field person and the on-the-field person. So my off-the-field athlete is just a complete sweetheart. She's humble. She's caring. She's compassionate. She's fun to be around, doesn't take herself too seriously. She can laugh. But once those goggles go on and that mouth guard goes in, she turns into an intense competitor who is going to sell out to help her team win. And I really believe you can have those two things wrapped up into one body. Um, And I Mm. I try to tell my recruits, an example of that is, you know, if we're playing an an awesome game and we lose in in triple overtime and you've just – left it all out on the field and you are literally running people over to pick up ground balls and trying to make your team look good and we've had this devastating loss and you're walking off of Homewood Field and there's a band of six-year-olds who want your autograph on their little poster and they've been waiting all game, you have to be able to flip that switch and go from that on-the-field kid right to that off-the-field kid that's going to Smile at those youngsters and know that you're a mentor of theirs and tell them, hey, guys, how'd you enjoy that game? We worked really hard, disappointed we lost, and you sign those posters and give them that autograph, and, and that's really powerful. So that's honestly what I'm looking for is, is a sweetheart off the field and a pit bull on the field. 
<laughs> I love that. That's a really wonderful description. Um, so, so what do you do once the athletes get to your program? And this probably does, I can tell already, it starts during the recruiting process when they're just starting to get to know you and your coaching staff. But what do you guys do that's really specific and intentional to create the, the kind of positive culture you want on your team? Well, that is really, really important. And I'll tell you, the first thing we do, it starts with our incoming freshmen. Our entire team will show up the day that those freshmen move in. Um, Because like you said, it's been going through the recruiting process with the ability to communicate and make these kids feel comfortable around us as coaches and with their teammates. But day one that they arrive on this campus, our entire um, team, all of our upperclassmen show up, and they will move those freshmen into their dorms. Their parents, the freshmen, will not touch a thing. Our upperclassmen introduce themselves. They give everybody hugs. They know that it's a bittersweet time for mom and dad. They're, they're, you know, excited and proud of their daughter, but they're also really sad that they're turning her over, um, you know, to go to college. So they won't touch a thing. They will just enjoy the process. Our upperclassmen move every box, every computer, everything into each of the freshmen's dorms. Um, and then later that e- evening, we have a, a kiss them goodbye dinner um, where we acknowledge <laughs> how, <laughs> how exciting it is to drop your daughter off at camp but also how, how bittersweet it is and that, you know, we know the families will miss them, but we really let them know um, that we're going to take care of their daughter, that they're important to us as a, as a young woman first and, and then as a student athlete. Um, so right off the bat, the upperclassmen diffuse any fear that the, the babies may have or that the parents may have by welcoming them, giving them a big hug, and grabbing all their stuff and helping them move in. Um, and I think a lot of that is does fall on the shoulders of the upperclassmen. Um, they must open their arms and welcome the younger players and go out of their way to take care of them. Um, I think that's a really big deal. And a lot of times it, it, it boils down to spending time. Um, you know, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, we, we moved our freshmen in, that was great. And then you don't talk to them for four weeks before practice starts. That's just not okay. So we will have our upperclassmen take the girls out to coffee, they'll go shopping, they'll have a catch, um, you know, just kind of spending time with them and making them feel welcome and important. I think is a really big deal. So that's just a couple of things that we try to do, um, you know, to, to welcome the new players and, and set the tone for how they're going to be taken care of through their four years. Awesome. Awesome. Um, there, there's so much here. I think I might have to hit you up for another podcast interview sometime. <laughs> I have, I have one, um, actually maybe two more things I'd love to, to get, get to quickly here. Sure. Um, when you have these athletes coming in from all over the country, they're different backgrounds, different life experiences. Yeah. Um, how do you approach that as a coach to make sure that you have a cohesive team, but, um, and, and also like one that really works for all those different individuals and, and the diversity you might find on your team? Well, you know, sometimes um, it can be challenging with with different people and different personalities and different styles. And I think that you have to work very hard to emulate an inclusive environment. So as a coaching staff, we have to demonstrate that we are accepting and inclusive of of every player and their talent level. And I tell all my girls, we're all a little weird. We're all a little different. We're all a little kooky. And yeah, just better embrace that and run with the fact that each and every one of us has our quirks, our idiosyncrasies, but don't we appreciate being accepted and, and brought into a family and, and understood by our family. And a lot of times it, it, it takes time 
to do that, to be able to understand each other. But I think what you have to do as a coaching staff is demonstrate through your own actions and your own behaviors that you are accepting of the kid that might be a little more quiet or the kid that's the complete goofball that wants to have the dance yeah. party every five minutes or, um, you know, that there's a, a young lady that may be a little more, um, you know, apt to keep to herself, but boy, is she going to grow over these four years. Um, I think that's, it's almost like you have to walk the talk yourself um, as mm-hmm. a coach before you can ask your players to do it. And I think that's something that, um, you know, acknowledging, honestly, honest to God, literally saying to your team, all right, we're all cre- a little creepy, a little crazy, and we're going to embrace it. And here we go, kids. We're all in this together. I think that right. really is, is pretty powerful um, and, yeah. and something that we, we try really hard um, to do is, is just to – we, yeah. we want to think positively. We want to act positively. We want to think inclusively. We want to act inclusively. We want to give off that energy because truly your, your players feed off of you. Um, and the yeah. last thing I would say is I think communication is just – it's critical, it's really critical. If someone's having a bad day and, and you can pull them aside and call them out on it right away, I, I think that yeah. just is, is a real big deal. And, and a lot of times what I found, you know, is, is our women don't, they don't like confrontation. They don't, but things don't have yeah. to be negatively confrontational, you know. If you can right. create right. an environment where you can chat it up a little bit and people feel safe doing that, I think that's pretty good. That's great. You know, the um, only other thing I would add really quick, if you don't mind, is the whole not taking yourself too seriously thing. I think yeah. that I've had to learn over the years, um, you've got to be able to laugh things off. You have to try to avoid walking around wound so tight you look like you're going to snap at any second. Um, loosening up a bit and laughing a lot and, and being sure to celebrate kind of the great things yeah. that go on within the team, even the small great things. Yeah. That really has made a pretty big difference for me, and I just wanted to kind of share that with everybody as well. Yeah, I love that. Um, so the last question, and it's, I feel like it's potentially a big one, um, but sure. a big topic that a lot of people are struggling with today, whether they're athletes or sports parents, is this pressure to specialize in one sport younger and younger. Oh, I and I think it. a lot of parents, you know, they come to this, they want to do right by their kid, and they have a coach or someone in their life saying, you know, if Shelly specializes right now in lacrosse, she'll be able to get a college scholarship, but it's time she has to stop swimming, you know, she has to stop playing soccer, she has to stop violin, like she needs to go all in. And I'm just curious what your opinion is on that and what advice you'd give parents and athletes when they're starting to get that sort of, it's really seductive, right? It's like, wow, I'm so good. I could play at that next level. And how do you handle that? Well, and and when you look at it just at face value, it it seems like it would make sense. You know, if the kid pops out of the womb and just plays lacrosse all her life, she should be a superstar. But to be honest with you, I don't like sports specialization at all. I much prefer Mm. athletes who play multiple sports, who learn multiple skill sets, who may be a superstar on one team, but lower down on the depth chart on another. That's going to teach them how to be the big dog, but also how to learn humility and the importance of working together to improve and be a good teammate. But I'll tell you something fascinating that I'm starting to see. When I look at at injuries in sports, when you have a player that is just using the same muscles in the same sport, I really believe that they are more prone to injury and and to burning out and to almost like you're getting an 18-year-old kid that's actually in a 23-year-old body because they've just been playing that one sport and going in those those same movements. 
And I think it is so much more healthy just with emotionally, physically, um, mentally for an athlete to have the, the challenge of learning new things and adapting to different sports. But also, I swear, I believe it helps their body. I believe it yeah. helps them to have the movement that you need in basketball that will then complement lacrosse, which then complements soccer. Um, you know, and I also saw, I had my own personal experience, you know, my, my son Ryan played, he wrestled in middle school and I will tell you that single sport and doing it for those two years literally made him the athlete he is today. If he hadn't wrestled, he wouldn't have learned how it's like me against that guy and how to fight and make sure that you were never able to give up and the muscles that he developed through the exercises that he did with wrestling and his balance, his core balance from wrestling, that, that transformed him in those, two, those middle school years when he wrestled with his mindset as well as yeah. his, his physique and his, his body. Um, and I think it was tremendously helpful in him being able to really um, excel at some of the other sports and especially lacrosse. So I, I feel pretty strongly about that, as you can tell. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is this is awesome. I've got two little boys myself, uh, seven and four. So getting to Aww. hear you talk about this, um, I, I just feel like you've given me so much to think about. And oh, our good. listeners, there's so many tangible things and lessons that they can put to use with their kids and with the kids they're coaching. And I just appreciate so much you taking the time for Positive Coaching Alliance to do this today. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you for allowing me. It was absolutely my pleasure. And I think if we could just have more coaches like you and more role models, um, the state of youth sports in our country would be much better. So thanks again for all you do. That means a lot. Sure. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.